Welcome to Titans of Transition. I'm really glad to welcome back my special guest, Laura Sheehan, award-winning career coach and strategist. I think one of the biggest challenges that I faced and that I would say all of the people with whom I work face is a feeling of overwhelm when you start thinking too far into the future. And whether you're launching a career, you know, in your early stages of of professional life, or if you're considering making a change, or if you have an opportunity in front of you that you're trying to evaluate, I think the biggest thing is, is really pulling, pulling everything back as close to the here and now as possible. Because when we start thinking, oh gosh, this decision I'm about to make is going to be forever. Or if I do this, then I'm setting myself definitively on one particular path. It feels very constraining. It feels scary. It feels, um, I think it takes away people's certainty and confidence in what they are about to do. Hey, Laura, welcome back to Titans of Transition. Thanks so much, Joe. Happy to be here. Now, I got to tell you, I'm really happy we finally connected. I just wanted to let everyone know that I invited you back for your second episode because I had received so much positive feedback on your first episode. You're back in the U.S. now in a different position. So can you tell us about that transition? I'll say first, Joe, thank you again for having me back. I'm really humbled to know that my words resonate with anyone. So I'm really grateful to to be here and to hope that my experiences help other people navigate transitions a little bit better than I have throughout my life. So thank you for this opportunity. Now to answer your great question, yes, almost exactly a year ago, it was the end of March 2021 that I started a new job doing a lot of the same things that I was doing as an independent coach and consultant, but focused more on a specific group of people. I'm now working at a law school in the Career Services Center, helping third-year law students get ready to launch their legal careers and also helping law school alumni later in their careers make transitions laterally. And sometimes that means going from one firm to the other. Sometimes it means leaving the law. Sometimes it means, you know, rethinking where you are and and where you want to go from there. So that was a year ago. And that was when I was still living in Tokyo, Japan. So I did my work remotely first time and hopefully only time ever that I worked through the nights. Literally, my days would start on East Coast time and Tokyo being 14 hours ahead. I was working from 8 p.m. to 3 or 4 a.m. and then trying to catch up during the day (laughs) while also getting ready for our international move back to the States, which did end up taking place later than we had expected in June and July. So we got boots on the ground back here in the States in, in the early summer months, and it's been a true whirlwind since then. We had to get our house back in shape after renting it out for almost seven years. And that was a lot of unexpected work and extra surprises. To, yes, <laughs> surprises. So many surprises, Joe. And trying to line up workers and new appliance and things like that during COVID was an interesting adventure. But we all, everything is in place now and squared away. So it's amazing what a little time and patience will do. Well, I can't imagine what it's like number one, to 
have a position where you are that far out of phase with people <laughs> time-wise. I did have some folks reporting to me in the Far East, but didn't have to be as engaged and work through the night, actually. <laughs> I kind of put it on them. But anyway, and then to move, you know, I've moved quite a few times over the course of my career and my life. Our last move was from Colorado down here to Florida. And that seemed like a, a big enough move, but oh my gosh, when did your stuff finally arrive and how did it get here? And yeah. Was that impacted by the crazies of COVID as well? It was. I I blocked that memory already, Joe. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. We we actually packed up our house in Japan in May, and we didn't see our things until November, almost December, because of all of the shipping delays. So our kids had to start school. And thankfully, I think we had packed backpacks and, you know, the bare school essentials into our luggage that we brought home with us. And we ended up having to, and I always hate having to do it. I feel so wasteful, but having to rebuy a lot of the stuff that we just needed to get us through. So got it all. Everything was unloaded in, in late November, early December. And we unpacked as quickly as we could just to feel settled. And I really sincerely hope that I don't have to move again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we talked about this before about your process in the first episode, which I will provide a link to in the show notes, but deciding to go to law school, going through becoming a lawyer, practicing, and then your husband being a diplomat going overseas and that whole situation. I'm just wondering, maybe it would be good for us to discuss how you landed on law and how you landed on what you're doing now and I think sometimes people think that they know, like almost out of the the crib, they know what, what they should be when they grow up, that there's some sunbeam that shines down on them and the enlightenment hits you and you're 100% confident. Obviously, everyone knows that's very rare and it's a process. So unpack that a little bit on, on your journey. Right. You know, so many things are coming up for me as you're kind of setting the stage for that question and answer. I, I do believe that there are people that are out there that from a very young age know exactly what they want to do and are able to doggedly pursue that and see it through. I am always in awe when I meet those people. I did not have that same kind of aha moment at an early age, and I think I'm still very much figuring out where I've been and, and where I'm ultimately heading to. I guess going back, I always knew that, well, I'll, I'll go back even further. My, my mother, it was very important to my mother that I, as a woman, be able to provide for myself and my family. God forbid something happened to my partner in life and I was left in a, in a position where I had to do so. So education and professional development were very, very important to her. She was a nurse and did wonderful in that career and that professional path. I was not so scientifically or mathematically inclined <laughs> and much to the chagrin of both my, my mother and father, who was a chemical engineer. When I got to college, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew that it should involve something with writing and with communications and with helping people. And my freshman advisor, all those many years ago, let me know that the most important things to get out of my college years were writing skills, critical mm. analysis, and um, or 
critical thinking and analysis skills. So writing critical thinking and analysis. He said, anything that you do in university that allows you to develop those three skills is going to set you up for life. So I thought, great, I'm going to study philosophy. <laughs> so that's what I did, right? And again, yep. yes, you, yeah, the smile and the, the blinks and my parents were, what are you talking about? What philosophy, what are you going to do with that? And I got to my, my senior year of college and really needed to make a decision about how things were going to go forward. So it seemed to me the next logical step was to go to law school, which years later, and I think I knew this subconsciously along the way, I discovered that being a lawyer had been my mother's lifetime dream. Like that is something that she had always wanted to do for herself. And just a few years ago, I found out that she had taken the LSAT and had been admitted to law school and ended up withdrawing her admission because I had just been born. Mm. And so I, I fulfilled her lifetime dream by becoming a lawyer. And I was absolutely honored to have the title lawyer once I got through law school and passed the bar to start out in a law firm with a wonderful team of mentors and colleagues that really taught me how to be not only a good lawyer, but a good person as a lawyer, which mm -hmm. I think was critical for, for my foundations moving forward. And shortly after that, I started moving and had to figure out how to pivot, how to leverage that degree and that experience into something else. And it has over time progressed. And in that process, I've been able to clarify what of the law I was meant to learn from or what pieces of the law or a law mm -hmm. career I was supposed to take forward with me and what I was meant to shed at different points in my life. So here I am today. And when I got my job a year ago, I really felt as though I had come full circle because going through all of the evolutionary steps, I'll call them, that I did over those 20 years and finding myself back at a law school mm -hmm. where I now am in a position to help other law students figure out how or if they want to launch their legal careers is amazing and truly wow. mind-blowing. I love what you talked about, deciding on what you were going to keep and what you were going to shed. You know, coming to the conclusion, what part of the overall breadth of what it could mean to be a lawyer you were going to keep and what you're going to shed. And uh, you being a career strategist on those years, you were you were out there in the field, I'll call it again. Um, and the way you engaged with people in that whole process probably brought out some additional clarity around that whole decision-making process. I, I have several friends who are attorneys, and I never knew until I talked to my friend Don Frederico, which is also an episode plug. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes too. The path and, and the direction and the decisions need to be made when you get out of law school. Uh, a lot of people take a path of becoming a clerk or a judge. Some people take completely different paths. As you engage the students there and the alumni, how do you help them get clarity? I think one of the biggest challenges that I faced and that I would say all of the people with whom I work face is 
a feeling of overwhelm when you start thinking too far into the future. And whether you're launching a career, you know, in your early stages of, of professional life, or if you're considering making a change, or if you have an opportunity in front of you that you're trying to evaluate, I think the biggest thing is is really pulling pulling everything back as close to the here and now as possible. Because when we start thinking, oh gosh, this decision I'm about to make is going to be forever. Or if I do this, then I'm setting myself definitively on one particular path. It feels very constraining. It feels scary. It feels, um, I think it takes away people's certainty and confidence in what they are about to do. And ironically, not even ironically, I'll say coincidentally, the word confidence. And I think that we talked about this in our last episode too, Joe, is that it, it its roots are in the Latin confidere, which means with faith. And that's all based on looking back at what you have done and all the things that you've accomplished and leveraging the great experiences that you've already had to get ready for what is next to come. So when I talk to people about what decisions they're considering making, we really try to pull it back say, this isn't a decision forever. Whatever you're going to decide now, you still have the opportunity to change. There are still 25,000 different ways that this could play out depending on the way that life happens, you know, what happens with other people that are in your immediate circle, whether that's your family, your friends, etc. So what's the best decision that you can make right now with all that you know that you've done, with the great education that you've had, with the experiences that you've already been through? What's going to be the best thing for you? What's the next best step based on where you've already been? And let's just take it one step at a time and see how this plays out. And instead of looking at it as a, a scary undertaking, Mm-hmm. viewing it as an exciting adventure. That's awesome. I think that the other thing that might play into this is that those who, who go through law school are of a certain personal wiring that makes them very detailed, critical thinkers, wanting to make the right call, not wanting to make any mistakes. And I was just thinking when you were unpacking that, if you look way far out, the farther out in the future you look, the higher the risk is you're going to arrive at the wrong destination. It, it, you don't have enough data. And so bringing people back in is great advice. But the other thing that comes to mind for me is that it goes against what might be an attorney's wiring to make them successful as an attorney. Now, I could be wrong. I, I see this in the people I coach in engineering and science as well, because there's similar kind of challenges. Anyone who's wired this way in general, you're so afraid to make a mistake and you want, you're viewing this as the, the ultimate decision event. I have to get 100% right. You forget that it's a learning experience. Life is a, a journey and you're continually revisiting, looking back to see what you were successful in what gave you joy and what didn't, what you wanted to shed. So it's just interesting. I'm wondering, I mean, could you speak to that? Do you think that you run into that a little bit with folks that who are pursuing a degree in law? 
so many thoughts running through my head right now. Yes, <laughs> is the, the short answer. Yes, absolutely. You know, the traditional path for a lawyer is you go to law school. You, during your law school years, have a variety of internships, both during the summers and potentially during the law school years, so that you're building up your law-related experience and your legal resume throughout those three years. And then upon graduation, the traditional, you know, most easily thought of example of next steps would be to go to a law firm. The pinnacle of achievements being an AMLAW 100 or 200 law firm, meaning the biggest, the best, the most well-known with the highest paycheck and the most prestige. Um, and, and then moving up the proverbial ladder, starting out as an associate, potentially at some point, either right out of law school or within a year or two of graduation, doing a judicial clerkship, like you mentioned before, to really get the full breadth of experience, and then eventually becoming a partner in the law firm and seeing where your name goes on that list of the you know last names for, for the, the actual yep. law firm name, right? But <laughs> That's just one of many trajectories that people can take. And I find, especially with law students, that they get really hung up on that vision that society has for mm -hmm. the way that a lawyer's career should progress. And the fortunate or unfortunate part of human nature is that when students get a job and job offers are given for, for postgraduate work as early as the summer before graduation, so almost an entire year before graduation, some people are getting job offers. So by the time graduation approaches, those students that haven't yet gotten offers are feeling even more pressure because they're hearing, mm -hmm. they think everyone, everyone has jobs, yep. except for them. Right. I'm the only one that doesn't have a job. Because the only people who are talking about their employment are the ones that have jobs and the people who aren't yet employed aren't speaking up, aren't asking for help, aren't recognizing that they're actually still in the majority of people that are graduating, those that are, are still seeking at that point in time. So it's a combination of societal norms, you know, what we think is supposed to happen after graduation or after certain points in life as well as what we're hearing from our peers and from our parents potentially about yeah. what we should be doing or or what other people are doing at that stage in their job search process. And those things absolutely affect the mental health, I would say, of the people who are going through that process and do drastically affect people's perspective in that job search process. Yeah, boy. There's a lot there. I think this whole topic or thread, I'm going to pull on this thread of the external voices and the external soundtracks, to use John Acuff's book name, is so powerful. Certainly those we are closest with, our parents, our family, our close friends, but also those that we admire. Maybe it could be fellow classmates that we admire. You know, we may not say we admire them, but we're looking at them. And as they start to do well, and as we start thinking, I, I should be doing that. Why am I not doing that? So there's a lot of external, it's not really conditioning, but influences, I suppose, 
into our, our processing. And this shows up when you're having a consulting kind of conversation, an advisory kind of conversation like you have day in and day out. And like I do as well with coaching, but uh, it's just interesting how to get people to change their perspective. It's a process, I imagine, for you as well. And I wonder, do they tend to engage with you hurriedly? If they're still in school, do they try to go through a very short period of time engaging with you and then they move on? Um, as for engagement, whether you're a student or an alum just starting out in your career or trying to make a, a transition later on, I found that the people who have any resistance to engagement are not ready to make a change. Mm. And so my approach is always, I am here and I work on your timetable. And when you're ready, then I'm ready. Mm -hmm. But right. don't come unless you're ready because yes. it just won't be a... A useful, yeah. right. It, we're not going to go anywhere until you're ready. So, and once they are ready, then regular engagement. And I, I found to be the magic kind of amount of time between appointments is about three weeks because it's enough mm. time for them to make progress on the goals that they've set for themselves, enough time for them to hear back potentially from the contacts that they've made, enough time for them to get a response on their resume submission, but not too much time that we let opportunities slip away or that we lose momentum. So generally I, I meet with people every three weeks until they land their job. Yeah, it's interesting because that time frame, if you go, I would say when you're in a coaching engagement, if you go beyond a, a few weeks, I would say three weeks would be the outside, you lose momentum. So let me ask, how has the current environment impacted the legal profession I have a couple private groups I facilitate of technology leaders, and they had to pivot really hard because of COVID. And the whole nature of work has changed. Almost all companies have gone remote, and they're not all coming back. So the whole business model has changed, which means their support model for their internal customers have changed as well. So just curious what impact the legal profession has had. I think mainly it's been a lot of positive change, really. Um, the legal profession was known for a high burnout rate and for lots of substance abuse and mental health issues because of the really, really long hours, the high stress, the, um, the stakes that are at hand when, when you're dealing with huge litigation matters, et cetera. With COVID, and I'd also say with this new generation of lawyers, right, the Millennials, but then the generation after millennials too, and I can't remember right now what- I don't remember either. It's not coming to mind, yeah. but um, millennials are demanding a better work-life balance. And COVID, I think, helped accelerate that in the legal profession, where now most law firms are working on a 3-2 schedule at best. So three days in the office, two days at home, or reverse, one or the other. Mm -hmm. A lot of court appearances are virtual now instead of having to be in person, which also I think has helped cut down in terms of- billing because transportation costs for attorneys mm. to go from the law firm to the courthouse would go directly to the client. So that's also mm. helped in terms of efficiency and transparency in terms of the, the billing costs. Um, I think that 
now in terms of I'd, I'd say the one negative of COVID and the the new hybrid schedule has been that new associates, especially so those new lawyers just starting out in the legal profession, it's been harder for them to connect to their team and to mm -hmm. their supervising attorneys because they're not in person. And mm -hmm. it's just easier to be able to walk down the hall and knock on somebody's door than it is to try to get on someone's schedule for a Zoom call or for a telephone call. So there's been a lot of extra effort, I think, put into the onboarding process during a hybrid schedule, making sure that associates feel connected and that they're not too isolated. Mm -hmm. um, and I think so many people are still working through the balance of both working from home and working in the office that it's still very much a work in progress. But for the most part, I would say it's been I think very that, that mirrors what, what we've seen in the other areas as well. And one of the big challenges with the CIOs in, in that group that I have is they've worked through all the technology issues. It's really that social piece and how they support with technology the social piece. So it used to be you, you would have meetings and maybe 5% would be remote. The folks would be remote. Now it's like flipped around. And, uh, and to your point, feeling a part of a team and having interaction with your boss, the, the water cooler talks and all those kinds of things. It's put a lot of pressure on leaders and managers to really serve their people and to really initiate reaching out. I think there's a tendency to just do check-ins to find out where your staff member is on a particular project. In the past, that was, I'd say, the majority of one-on-ones were that way. But now I see more and more of is uh, bosses, leaders, actually thinking about this social connection partially because of the generational issue, but also because of the separation physically, that they have to really be intentional about it. And the other thing that plays in, and I don't know if it, if it hits the legal profession as much, I imagine it does to a certain degree, is that now, since most people are working from home most of the time, changing jobs is extremely easy <laughs> in the sense that you're not thinking, oh, how do I commute over here? Do I even need to consider that? Now, a lot of jobs are virtual and the stickiness of an employee in an organization is a real issue. And so retention's a big, big problem. It's just interesting how this impacts, you know, I talk about transitions, career and life transitions, but this external shift has made a big impact on all professions. Absolutely. I think part of that retention too, and I've been thinking a lot about this with our current team, is a sense of belonging. And when you don't have those outside of work opportunities or outside of work conversations, there's not really a natural way to ask people or to learn more about people's personal lives or, or selves outside of the office. And without that deeper level of connection, it's much more difficult to create that sense of belonging, that that personal connection between team members. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts in terms of advice that I, I often give people. They're going through a transition. They feel like something's out of kilter in their current situation, job. They don't feel enough joy <laughs> in what they're doing. I usually 
go back to what is innate inside of you, I would say to the individual, that you get a lot of joy out of? What things, nature of your work or your job that you really like that seem to come very easy and and give you energy, don't drain your energy, but give you energy that you feel like you could keep doing this for 12 hours a day and you'd be fine. Those would be things that you would keep versus those things you would shed. So start to get clarity on that. And then the other thing I, I, I ask people is, externally, what do you feel you have gotten validation from? So as, as people have come to you and said, wow, you really did a good job at that. That was great. You're getting that external, genuine validation on some nature, some aspect of what your job or position is. And then now take that and say, how does that work with what you're doing? Those inputs. And you combine, you know, what gives you energy, what you feel like comes easy with the external validation of others. And then what do you feel passionate about? Sort of looking at that Venn diagram. I'm wondering how that aligns with your experience. And I'm wondering if there's some other key thing that you would bring forth as you advise those that you help and you serve. Yeah, I do a couple of exercises that are very similar to what you're talking about, because most of, I mean, all really of the people with whom I work are looking to shape their future in some way that, that they don't really even necessarily know what direction they're going in, but how to define that direction and then take action. And again, my first step is to look back and to do a timeline exercise where we plot three different sets of points, your proudest moments, and sometimes people get hung up on the word proud. So your highest of highs, right? Those moments that like you just described where you're like, this yeah. is awesome. I love that. <laughs> that was so great. Yeah. <laughs> and and I it really encourage people to think not just about when they have those feelings at work, but when do they have those feelings outside of work? Because a lot of people, you know, maybe it's training for a triathlon or maybe it's something related to their children or volunteering in some capacity or what are those moments regardless of the setting that just make you feel like you are on the top of the world. And then the, the opposite moments, your lowest of lows, those moments where you look back and either you think, oh my gosh, I never want to deal with that again, or that was just awful or whatever it was that just made you feel terrible. What were those moments? And then your pivot points, those moments where you're just kind of going along and then something happens that make you completely change direction, like a hard right. You're just going along and then something happens and you, you're on a different course all of a sudden. And I then encourage people to, so you plot all these points, you can do whatever you want, all different colors, all different, whatever, whether it's on a, a tablet or a dry erase board or just a piece of paper or whatever it is that makes you happy and yeah. gets your creative juices whatever. flowing. And then to think about what was it about those proud moments that made you feel so great? Who was with you? Where were you? Uh, yes. What verbal feedback were you getting? What was happening? What brought you to those moments? And then same with the those lowest of lows. What was going on during, what were the common themes, right? That are tying together your proud moments and your not so great moments separately, of course. You know, the common themes for your, your highest of highs and the common themes for your lowest of lows. And 
your highest of highs, those are going to reveal your inner strengths, your inner talents, the things that you need to be magnifying in order to live out the purpose that you were brought to this earth to live out. And those lowest of lows indicate a couple of things. One, potentially gaps in your education or experience that you need to fill, that you need to address in order to be able to move on and to really thrive. Or situations, people, circumstances that you absolutely need to avoid in order to make sure that you are performing at your optimal level. And then those pivot points are revelatory of your core values, the things that you are willing to change anything in order to maintain. An example of my core values would be that one time, it was actually right after we arrived in Japan, I was so lucky as to be offered a a job and it came with a title and a salary that I had been yearning for for years. And I was so excited about this opportunity. And I was in the last phases of negotiating my salary for that particular position and all the benefits and all the other things that were going along with it. And the same day that I was about to finalize those negotiations, my younger daughter ended up in the hospital. She had already had a broken arm, so she had a big cast on her arm already. And she was hospitalized for double pneumonia. So there she was, super sick. I couldn't leave her side, was in the hospital, sleeping overnight with her, and realized, I can't take this job. Mm. And it was because I knew that I needed to be able to be present to my kids for this period of my time, my life. And what that did for me was not only it empowered me to be able to go back and say, I'm so sorry, I can't take this job, but then also not to have any regret in making that decision because I knew that it was in alignment with what was most important to me in my life. So getting clarity on your innate skills and talents, getting clarity on the things that you need to be doing, you must be doing these things Mm. in order to live your best life. And also getting clarity on the things that take away from your ability to magnify your natural strengths and talents. And also getting clarity on what is the most important to you in your life. Those three sets of data points combined really help people set their direction, stay on the path, and make good decisions for themselves whenever they might be presented with another course or another opportunity. So that's really where I spend a lot of my time with students and with alums, with all of my former clients in the expat world. And as a supplement, sometimes we also do visualization exercises where we talk about your ideal day. When you, from the time that you wake up until the time that you go to bed, what are you doing Mm -hmm. every single minute of the day? And that needs to include things that you're doing in your personal life as well as in your professional life. And we get into a description of what your office or what your work environment looks like. Is it outside? Is it inside? What are you wearing? Who are you talking to? What kind Mm -hmm. of things are you working on? Is it something with a deadline? Are you working by yourself? Are you working with a team? And all of those things, again, combined really help us filter out what is a good fit for you and what is a good fit maybe for, or or what do we need to push aside? Yeah. 
I really love that. When you were talking about looking back, and as you went through that visualization exercise almost, it's a memory-driven, but it's really you're getting into this sort of 360-degree, all-senses-engaged description of those experiences, making them as vivid as possible. I use a similar process looking forward, you know, so somebody wants to kind of vision into the future. And I find they struggle with it. Their mindset's kind of compressed in the possibilities, and they're kind of blurred in terms of their ability to see the situation. That's why you're having a conversation with them. But they can remember the past pretty well. I always feared when we're visioning forward, like in strategic planning, you, you tend to be constrained as to what you can do when you look forward by where you are today and in the past. But I really like the way you have positioned that. I think I may have to adopt that. I think it gives people a lot more insight than just saying, what are you good at? Well, right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and it also, I think it helps remove those external voices that we've been talking about because mm. their experiences. Yeah. It's what their experience was. It's not yeah. shoulda. Right. Right. And the should is, is yeah. really what clouds the future for so many people that I work with. So the, the looking back and seeing what has worked and what would you want to repeat and how do we fold that into your, and I suppose the should does show up a little bit in the backward view in would be expressed as this wasn't a good experience could I because I felt like I could have done better or I should have done better or you know mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy it but I should have enjoyed it I mean there'll be maybe they won't use that word but it, it might be something to unpack but that's very powerful I really like that um, sometimes people can take some convincing to get into that sort of process. But uh, once they do, I think it really serves them, serves them well. How has it been uh, going through this process? As you look back, we talked about a little bit in the beginning. You feel much more comfortable in this role. Are you still on a journey? I think we're always on a journey. I'm just wondering, you know, what comes next for you, Laura? I'm excited to see Joe. I mean, I, it's funny yes. because yeah, what? yeah, this, this transition home for me yep. has really been an interesting one because it's the first time in my adult life where we haven't had a move on the horizon. Mm. And so this is potentially the first time where I could be in this job for more than two years and where we could be in the same physical location for a while. And in the same country. <laughs> yeah, same house, same everything. I don't think people yeah. fully appreciate what you've done. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really I'm really excited to to have that stability and I think that that stability is going to allow for some more growth that I I don't even know that I could anticipate yet. I I have already learned so much in this year in this role in terms of even the number of transitions that lawyers go through during their lifetime. There's the transition into law school, there's the tra transition from law school to lawyer. There's the transition from first, you know, new lawyer into partner. There's a transition from partner to out out of the law potentially or to yeah. different law firms. I mean, so the transitions just continue and there's still so much that I need to learn. The profession keeps changing, whether I'll stay related to the law. I don't know. You know, I, I think so <laughs> today. 
I, I hope so. That's my intention. Uh, I really am enjoying the work and I'm excited to see what's, what's going to happen next. Do you feel comfortable sharing what law school you're working at? Oh, sure. Yep. It's on my LinkedIn profile. I work for the George Washington University Law School. It is the oldest in our nation's capital, one of the largest in the country. We graduate close to 600 students every year. So it's a big pull every year to help that many students get jobs right out of law school. It's a great adventure for sure. It's a great group of students, great group to work with. And were you associated with that school previously? I was not. Okay. I was just kind of curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did that opportunity come to you? You know, that's a great question. <laughs> I last November or no two, it was two years ago almost. So November, October, November timeframe of 2020. Um, I really started turning on my job alerts and and starting my my job search in earnest because I knew we were going back to the states in the spring or summer of 2021 and you need to build in time for that kind of search. And I had had an inkling that the the next logical step for me was going to be in higher education. I had started working with some of my kids schools on uh, professional development programming for their graduates and and I'm just curious to see how my kids are going to develop and how their careers are going to play out. And I, I felt as though those pieces were coming together for me. So I started looking for opportunities in higher education. And December 1st, 2020 was when the job vacancy notice for this position popped up on my feed. And I applied that day mm. and then waited mm. and was holding my breath, biting my nails, waiting to see how this was going to play out because I just, I was so convinced that this was the role for me and really celebrated a couple months later when the position was offered to me. I was so excited. That's great. Laura, this has just been a great time. Thank you so much for making time to come back on Titans of Transition. You are a Titan <laughs> who has done many transitions. Uh, and so in, in wrapping up, um, What's the best way for people to reach you? Would it be through your LinkedIn account or what would that be? Yeah, I think right now LinkedIn is the best. Um, I, yes, I would. And and through LinkedIn, I'm, I will always try my best to answer messages that come through. Um, of course, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, if you're affiliated mm -hmm. with or have any interest in attending GW, let me know. I'm happy to answer any questions on that front as well. And yeah, look forward to serving however I can. That's great, Laura. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Joe, for the opportunity. I appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining me today on Titans of Transition. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please check the show notes for additional information.